Well, while you're grabbing in your Bibles, children, you are dismissed with Miss Joy for Jumpstart. And yes, I am in the right way envious. Jumpstart, I got to go to Jumpstart last week. It was lots of fun. At second service, ask the kids, see if they uh, remember what I did. Because I'm not sure I did, but I know what we learned, so that was the important thing. So if you grab your Bibles, if you would stand with me as we show respect for God's Word as it's read. We're going to be in 2 Samuel. No surprises there. It's right there on the screen. But we're going to be in chapter 5. So right near the beginning of 2 Samuel, I'm going to read the first five verses of chapter 5. David anointed king of Israel. Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, Behold, we are your bone and flesh. In times past, when Saul was king over us, it was you who led out and brought in Israel. And the Lord said to you, You shall be shepherd of my people Israel, and you shall be prince over Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to, king, to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years. At Hebron he reigned over Judah seven years and six months, and at Jerusalem he reigned over all Israel and Judah 33 years. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated and let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we love you. And we wish to understand. We wish to hear your word today, both read, proclaimed, sung, and prayed, and indeed in communion acted out, that we would receive from you truth, honesty, reality, and a blessing not just for ourselves, but for those around us and for your world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, this week we're still in our series, sermon series, Whole, as you might imagine. If you're new here uh, and you haven't been following along, our sermon series, Whole, literally is talking about the whole Bible. And we're at the moment in the Old Testament and we're doing one book per week uh, in our sermon, in our Ephraim co-op, our daily Bible readings, and in our Wednesday night Bible study. So hopefully by the end of the week, you've got at least an outline and several points from uh, each book of the Bible. And uh, today we reach 2 Samuel, a book which is primarily concerned and filled with the narrative of the reign of King David. Throughout the book, we will see plot points that would be just as good as any Disney, Marvel, Netflix, or Hulu series you could imagine or ever want or ever need. And in fact, they're better than all of those put together. Now, as Pastor Dustin mentioned last week, 1st and 2nd Samuel are really one book, the book of Samuel. In fact, it wasn't divided into 1st and 2nd Samuel until the Old Testament was translated into Greek. So it's very much like, how many of you watch a series of movies? And you get to the last series, right? It's based on a book series, and suddenly they've got two movies out of one book. Anybody? No? Just me? Okay. How they made The Hobbit into three movies, I'll never know. Peter Jackson. There we go. Um, but there's enough information in the book of Samuel, obviously, to make two books. So in true Netflix fashion, 
here is the previously on the life of David recap before we get into today's message. Because a lot of this happened in 1 Samuel, at the end of 1 Samuel. David has come from a young shepherd boy who was chosen by God and anointed by Samuel to later become the king of God's people. He is now the king. He is, along the way, he has killed a giant with a single stone, played music to soothe King Saul, led armies into battle, run for his life on numerous occasions, written psalms that still impact our world today, and resisted the temptation when he had the opportunity more than once to kill King Saul, whom was out for his blood. And as 2 Samuel opens, we see he is the grieving new king. He's grieving because he's grieving for King Saul. And now he begins his reign as king of Israel. 2 Samuel 5, verse 2. In times past, when Saul was king over us, it was you who led out and brought in Israel. And the Lord said to you, you shall be shepherd over my people Israel, and you shall be prince over Israel. We're reminded that David is God's choice of king. Saul was the people's choice, whom God blessed for a season and allowed to reign. Notice that David, throughout Saul's reign, though, is respectful of King Saul, even when he obviously didn't agree with him at times and was in fear of his life from Saul on numerous occasions. Now, if that isn't a good example of how to love your enemies, I don't know what is. So as I said, today's message is entitled David's Legacy because we're going to look at what we learn from what David uh, did in his life, the way he acted, and also really and truly how God worked through and to David. Because David has always been described as a man after God's own heart. And yet he is not perfect and he is not the Christ. God certainly uses him in an earthly sense to save the people from attack and from exile that would come later And during David's reign, there's a time of prosperity when the kingdom grew to the largest that it ever was. And with the exception of the great heart failure of chapters 11 and 12 of 2 Samuel, David's life is not primarily lived for his own benefit, but it is lived to bear witness to the reality of the saving love of God and God's goodness and grace and mercy And that David wanted to see others come to know and to understand that for themselves. So the first of these actions of God that uh, we see and David's legacy is by seeing David as worshipper and writer. Worshipper and writer, which will appear on the screen momentarily. There we go. Now, this is, of course, most obviously seen in the writing of Psalms. Today, we are to read the Psalms. We are to pray the Psalms. We are to use them in our daily walk with the Lord to praise, to sing, to pray, to contemplate, to learn and see God's character and our place with him. Although you and I will never, ever write Scripture, We can pour our hearts out in the same way that David did. 
we can write down our honest feelings to God. And it's an important part, I would suggest, of our walk with him. Hopefully some of you are doing the Ephraim Co-op. If you don't know what it is, there's stuff on the website. But there, we encourage you to do that, to read scripture every day, to pray every day, to write down your feelings every day, you know, all of these things so that you would come closer to God. And yes, even sing. Okay, who will admit like me that singing isn't the top of their list of things? Okay, there's like eight of us. So the rest of you should be singing in worship then, right? Okay, sing loud enough, we can hear you on stage. Um, No, all jokes aside, singing is serious for lots of reasons. Hopefully you are seeing the words up on the screen, and they're words that are true. They're words of God. They're very often words of Scripture, and I guarantee you it's easier to learn a song and the words of a song than it is to memorize prose. You will go home, and you will sing the t- you'll hear the tune, and you'll remember the words. That's why it's so important that the words we use are right and true of God and meaningful. Paul talks about the importance of this in Ephesians 5, uh, at the end of 18 into 19, be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your Now, most will agree that David wrote about half of the 150 Psalms that we have in Scripture today, so about 75 of them or so, and 20 of those are directly related to incidents in his life, and one of those in particular is uh, is, is Psalm 18. It's almost word for word uh, retold in 2 Samuel 22. If you've got your Bible there, if you want to turn over to chapter 22, right near the end. Second Samuel goes to 24, so a couple of pages back from the end of Second Samuel. Um, I'm not going to read all of it because it's a long psalm, Psalm 18, and as I say, the majority of it, if not all of it, is there again in Second Samuel 22. But I do want to look at a couple of sections. Firstly, verses 1 to 4. And David spoke to the Lord the words of this song on the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. He said, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my savior, you saved me from violence. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies." Are two really quick sub points. First one is what we see here is that deliverance comes from the Lord. This passage, this psalm, this song of deliverance, although it's placed at the end of David's life and and the end of his reign, and that leads to a, a time of peace where Solomon would reign after him, it's also recalling all of the ways that God has delivered David throughout his life, from wild animals of his childhood to the Philistines. Anybody remember Goliath? Nine feet tall. From Saul's attempts on his life, the rebellion of his own son, Absalom, and yes, even through David's own deliberate sin. And that's not just the Bathsheba incident. God is praised as the one who protects from external threats, who protects from enemy arrows, who hides David from harm, gives him refuge, the one who anoints David for a purpose 
That is the horn of salvation. That is God. God is praised and we should be praising him. In short, it's the work of God, this protection, this deliverance. Okay, got a story for you. John Patton was a missionary in the Pacific Islands. You can see a picture of him there and where he served. And one night he was at the mission state station along with just his wife. They were alone and suddenly the place was surrounded with uh, locals who were intent on burning the mission station and killing the Pattons. And uh, that night the Pattons were notably scared and they prayed during that time that God would deliver them. When daylight came, they were amazed to see that the attackers had left. A year later, the chief of that area was converted to Christ and Patton had this conversation with the chief. Why didn't you kill us that night when you were so intent upon it? And the chief replied, well, who were all those men with you? Patton knew nobody else was with them, but the chief went on to say, we saw hundreds of men shining bright with swords. God is the one who delivers. Now, there are times when we don't feel that we are delivered from circumstances and situations that we would really love to be delivered from. And truthfully, there are times when God doesn't deliver us in the way that we think or imagine that he could or should. Oswald Chambers puts it this way. Faith means whether I am visibly delivered or not, I will stick to my belief that God is love. There are some things only learned in a fiery furnace. For us, deliverance finds its ultimate expression in the salvation that we find in only Jesus Christ and his sacrificial death and his glorious resurrection. And we must remember that Christ delivers us from more than anything the world could ever throw at us. He rescues us from eternal death and gives us the gift of eternal life. We also see that this is the second sub-point. Salvation comes from the Lord. We're going to look again at verses in 2 Samuel 22, this time 21 to 25. The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands. He rewarded me, for I have kept the ways of the Lord, and I have not wickedly departed from God. For all his rules were before me, and from his statutes I did not turn aside. I was blameless before him, and I kept myself from guilt. And the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to my cleanness in his sight. Now, at first, reading that you coldly, out of context, you might be think, thinking that David is saying that his salvation has come because of his good behavior, because of the things that he's done rather than the things that God has done and accomplished. Where in reality, we know anything about David. We know he's a man after God's own heart who also messes up royally, no pun intended. But what he's really doing is responding to the goodness and the righteousness and the salvation that God has given to him. David exercises faithfulness to God. But what we're really seeing at every turn is God's faithfulness, God's mercy and grace standing out time and time again. It's the righteousness of God that David clings to. In this way, these verses point us to the truth of the gospel. Only those who run to the Lord and Christ's righteousness will be saved. 
James puts it very well in James chapter 4 and verses 4 to 7. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. It is the gift of God's grace that those who confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in their hearts that God raised him from the dead will be saved. Jesus took all of our sin on himself and God took Jesus' righteousness and gave it to those who believe. Paul tells us in Romans 6, 13 and 14, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Does this mean that we don't sin? No, of course not. But it does mean we have the ability not to sin. And the ability to truly repent. Living a life that points to God does not mean that we will be perfect all the time. Certainly David wasn't. And the second of the actions of God through David is by seeing David as more than a survivor, but as a repenter. More than a survivor, but as a repenter. David does not just survive his heart failure, but he is healed by his repentance before the Lord. In 2 Samuel 11 and 12, we have the infamous incident of David's most well-known sin, where in many ways, David doesn't just break one of the Ten Commandments, he almost breaks all of them. Idolatry, covetousness, adultery, murder, lying, stealing, you name it, it's all in this incident. I will leave you to read chapters 11 and 12. They're in the co unsurprisingly, they're listed in the co-op for you this week as we look at 2 Samuel together. But as you know, it's the story of David's adultery with Bathsheba, the wife of his neighbor and military commander Uriah. In these two chapters of 2 Samuel, we clearly learn the destructive power of sin, not only to the individual who is committing the sin, but to those around them to their friends, their family, and in David's case, to the nation itself. At the same time, we marvel at the grace and the mercy of God who takes our sins seriously enough that he confronts us, he rebukes us, and offers forgiveness to those who truly repent of their actions and their intentions. Today, we can be guilty of not taking our sins seriously enough on one hand, and on the other, we can feel that surely we can't be forgiven. And we can't move away from it. If David had not been confronted by the prophet Nathan in chapter 12, maybe he would have continued down this destructive path. And who knows what would have taken place in his life and in the nation. But he is confronted. He does repent. He still has human consequences, of course. But his heart is restored to that right condition with God. 
David's response, however, is not to keep this all to himself and just say, oh, well, thank you very much. He repents publicly so that others may learn from his experience, may be pointed to God and his goodness. Do we talk about our faith and our experiences to others? Do we share Jesus with our neighbors, our friends, and even strangers? Is our deepest desire the same as David to see others to come to know God and experience him for themselves and receive the gift of eternal life? We are told many times that actions speak louder than words, and in many situations that is true. When it comes to sharing the gospel, words are very important, and we're called to use them. Famously, David's response and part of his genuine repentance is to be the writer again. He writes Psalm 51. Again, hopefully if you're doing the co-op, you would have read Psalm 51 just two days ago. And I would encourage you, if you haven't read it recently, to take time this afternoon to read Psalm 51 and let it speak to you. Because it really does speak for itself. We recognize that we all fall short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. We've all gone astray. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. That's how Paul puts it so eloquently in Romans 3, 23. And at the same time, we can all be forgiven by the blood of Christ. And I want to suggest to you that the best lessons we ever learn in our lives are the ones that we learn from experience and very often hard experience, our own and the experience of others. No one can repent for someone else. No one can repent for us except us. But we can be pointed to the need for it by others, and we can point others to the need as guided by God. And then we can say with great confidence, one of my favorite scriptures that comes in that Psalm 51, Psalm 51, verse 15. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. It's great assurance, isn't it, that God gives us the words, that they're not, we don't have to think them up. God gives them to us in his written word, and he inspires them even now through his Holy Spirit. And I know that word of mouth is the greatest way of spreading any news or any advertising any product. So I read it this way. Everyone knows that the best form of advertising ever invented and one that is still most successful is word of mouth. People telling other people. Years ago, there used to be an automobile named the Packard. Packard was the last car manufacturer to get into the advertising game. It didn't happen until old man Packard died because whenever he was approached to buy some advertising for his cars, he always said, don't need any, just ask the man who owns one. After his death, Ask the Man Who Owns One became the Packard slogan. You can see it up there on the screen. So let us commit today afresh to verbally share the greatness of the Lord in our lives and praying that others will come to him as well. Now finally, our third way that God acts through the life of David is by seeing David as sponsor and supporter. Sponsor and supporter. He plans for and pays for, in part, the building of the temple. Now, although David was not allowed to build the temple himself because of the blood on his hands, he is still a part of preparing, planning, and even purchasing land and materials to make a place of worship for the Lord. 
And it points us to the fact to help equip others to be able to gather and to worship uh, the Lord is an important thing. And 2 Samuel actually ends as we hear of David purchasing a threshing floor, which he was using for asking for forgiveness for himself and also for the nation. Um, And it also is the very spot that the temple would be built on later on by his son Solomon. Not only did he purchase the piece of land, but he goes on to raise the funds for construction of the temple. And he sets the example by donating himself from his great wealth and encouraging others to do the same. And we don't see the details of that recorded here in 2 Samuel. We do see it later on in 1 Chronicles. So in a few weeks' time, we're going to get to 1 and 2 Chronicles, which retell these narratives from a slightly different perspective. But I would just uh, share with you one verse, 1 Chronicles 28:19. All this he made clear to me in writing from the hand of the Lord, all the work to be done according to the plan. Again, building the physical building was God's direction. Not David's, not Solomon's, but still God's planning. We may not all be called to build a physical church building, but we are all called to build the church, the people, by sharing the good news, by coming ourselves, by bringing others into uh, that fellowship, into that community, and sharing together. David's desire and our desire today should be to point people to the love and grace of God. Even when he made mistakes, and boy did he make mistakes, he still pointed to God. And we should be the same. For God loved us while we were still yet sinners, and he deals with us according to his purpose, in the great, and it's the greatest comfort for those of us who already know him, and it's the greatest news to share with those who do not yet. I'd encourage you today as we wrap up to know this truth for yourself to show this truth to others, and do not listen to the lie of Satan that says you have to be good enough before you can receive from God. He meets us where we are. From first to last, David's life is meant to point us to Christ. In Christ, we find not just an example, we find the Savior, someone who both humbles us in times of strength and gives us hope in times of weakness. Jesus is the only king that if we run to him, receive him, he satisfies us because he died for us and rose again. He paid the price for our sins. He is our king and there is none like him. This is who we are to have a heart after. Do you sometimes wonder how God could love you? Has God really forgiven me? Are you struggling with the battle against sin and evil in your life, like we all do? Look to the example of David, a man after God's own heart, who does not always get it right, but knows the truth of the gospel long before the cross, that God is the one who forgives, the one who leads, the one who rescues, and the great importance to point this truth out to others. To his name be the glory, the honor, and the praise now and forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you for the way that you interact in the lives of your people with the express purpose of revealing yourself and ultimately doing that in the person of Jesus Christ.
as we look at David's legacy, what he left behind, help us to think of the legacy that we're leaving behind. Are we pointing to you in all that we do and say? And as we come to the table, help us to lift up those times when we're not doing that. Receive your forgiveness and receive from you the truth of the gospel. This and more we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.